welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Renovators. For those who don't know, Real Estate Renovators is a business advisory show for real estate professionals. Now, before I continue on, my two co-hosts have had a serious word with me about the fact that I haven't been introducing them into segments. <laughs> I'm confident, and I'm gonna get a poll up after this, who doesn't know who Rex Afrasiabi and Bill Nikopolopolopoulos are by this stage in <laughs> filming. But I need to introduce them anyway and ask them, how are you today, Rexy? Are you okay? I'm better now. Better now I'm that good. you've been introduced? Yes, thank I'm you. so glad. Have you had a good week? We did not have a god hell whatsoever. Lies, lies, lies. You've been well though? How's the week been? Week's been busy. Melbourne's back alive again. So been going out too much, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Hamilton last night, if anyone hasn't seen Hamilton, amazing show. It's like R&B, theatre and Broadway. It's like, yeah. Not like the show that you and I went to and walked out halfway because it was- I wanted to stay, but someone someone walked out. (laughs) Anyway, we won't go into that. And to my left- Mr. Nicolopoulos, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. One day, one day I'm going to make you say my real Can we surname. just say it? Can we just say it out loud? Let's, do you want to do it together? Yeah, yeah. Nicolazakis. Nicolazakis. Well done, see, no, I want you to, got Nicolazakis. <laughs> 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 I really want to dance. Well, our last guest wanted to break some plates and have a dance, so maybe we'll do I don't know why we didn't. Time. We should have let we him go have. rogue. But anyway. I Versace plates. Versace plates. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, today we have a super interesting guest. I'm sure many, many people in the industry would have heard the name Emily Wallace, buyer's advocate extraordinaire. Wouldn't you, would you say that, Bill? Yeah, I'm looking, really looking forward to, to this one. Obviously, there's a lot of buyer's advocates now. It's becoming more and more popular, but she's got a different spin on it, sort of a new starter that's come up really quick. Very and using, social media driven I was going to say well. using different, if, if you let me finish, Sorry. I was going to say using different mediums, marketing mediums to get her message out, which is awesome. I was talking about TikTok two years ago and everyone was laughing at me, but you know, people have now built and basically businesses from TikTok. Have you, are you one of those people, Rexy? Uh, I've just set up a TikTok account. Show um, us some TikTok dance. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pay <me> afterwards. <laughs> I'm still rehearsing them. Um, but I'm looking forward to having Emily on. Uh, I've been watch, following her on social media. I haven't met her, but I've spoken via online before. So looking forward to meeting her. I like those Friday floor plans she puts up, um, different floor plans. Super cool. Yeah. I think it allows a, a really wide audience to be able to have a, a snapshot of what happens in the buyer's advocate world. Interestingly as well, Rexy, similar to myself, she was a teacher of all things before she transitioned over to real estate. So we're going to dissect a lot of that, um, her story into becoming a buyer's advocate. And obviously, you know, a lot of things that are happening on the market, which I'm sure everyone is intrigued to know about at the moment. So without further ado, let's bring to you Emily Wallace. And welcome. Thanks so much, Emily, for being part of our panel and our show today. Thanks for having me. Really excited. Such a pleasure. I think our audience in particular are going to be tuning in and listening to every piece of advice that you give them, particularly with such a unique and I would say volatile market we're in right now. Right, Rexy? And even not just volatile, but people don't really quite understand what an advocate does to start with. Um, It's not so common in Australia compared to some other parts of the world. So can we start there? What do you do? Great question. Uh, So a lot of people do get us confused with a real estate agent and that is like complete opposite to what we are. Um, So we buy properties. We represent the buyer in the property transaction um, to help them find off-market properties, also on-market properties and negotiate the deal, basically taking their hand through the whole process from sourcing, inspecting and negotiating the deal. 
So can I ask Emily, I mean, who needs a buyer's advocate? So say for example, right now I'm, I'm buying a home. Yep. So I'm looking at realestate.com, I'm going to opens. What's the benefit of me then not doing that and, and choosing to, um, I guess, uh, hire or, or adopt a buyer's advocate? Yeah, definitely. I guess there's a couple of things that come into it. Um, number one would be that it's basically our full-time job is to hunt out properties. So we're essentially best friends with as many agents as possible to get into properties that other people can't, so off-market properties. There's also a lot of things that happen in the real estate transaction that can only really come with experience. I guess in any profession, there's things you pick up, there's lingo that you know, there's red flags to look out for that an advocate would pick up for you and potentially save you a fair bit of money in mistakes that might be made. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is time. Like we literally work pretty much seven days a week um, when someone else is, you know, usually young professionals holding down their own um, job or mm. running their own business and then trying to also be their own advocate, it can get really tiring and actually takes the joy out of buying the property. It Absolutely. becomes a chore. Yeah, I can relate. I'm experiencing yeah. that right now, to be yeah. honest, Emily. And I, I lost out on a property to a buyer's advocate recently. So well, I've got a personal vendetta and, and I need to, to use them. Personal vendetta. <laughs> exactly right. Now, I guess Rexy was really, really intrigued to know with the rise of flexible working. Yeah, let's start off your career. So my understanding is that you started off as a teacher of all things. You know Chanel was a teacher as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. So were you primary? Yeah, primary. Me too. Yeah. Yes. Small world. Yes, so uh, I studied and finished my degree. I actually knew in my final year I didn't want to be a teacher. And funnily enough, I went into education recruitment after that. So I was finding teachers to go into schools and things like oh, that. Interesting. Yeah. So um, my recruiting skills then effectively now into hunting properties has been quite a good transfer of skills. Um, but it was never actually my intention to ever start my own business. I actually started my own advocacy because no one else would take me as an advocate. Oh, Yes. Because you, you were too advocacy? young, is that why? Too young, not enough experience, yeah. don't know property, um, don't have connections. So I, uh, now looking back on it, it was a very, um, it was a big risk. At the time, it didn't feel like it because I didn't know any different. But I pretty much quit my corporate job at 25 at the time with probably about four and a half months worth of savings to get me by without having anything um, else to back me and went into it with no one really knowing It's the my best name. one that happens though. You've got the fire in your belly yes. and no yes. money in the bank. Yeah. What better recipe, yes. right, Bill, yeah. to success? It's actually a common story. You hear a lot about people that have gone out on a limb and it's one of those things like you're, you're sort of you're cutting the umbilical cord, right? You either yeah. win or lose, you're all in and sometimes that's the best way to do it. You know, you don't really have a choice but to win and to, Literally. And to succeed. And the yeah. most successful successful business owners, I would say as well, they don't actually go, hey, I'm gonna, I'm planning to open my own business. No. It just happens because yeah. if you're extremely passionate about what you do and you've got that drive and that fire in your belly, it just, it just happens to be that you sort of step onto that entrepreneur path. Whereas the ones that actively sort of go, I wanna open my own business, what can I open it in? Yeah. It doesn't really work out. Yeah, and I think probably the biggest thing is we, or oh, I saw a massive gap in the market, which was first and family home buyers. Mm. A lot of advocates or the perception of a buyer's advocate is really big purchases. You know, that probably comes from watching the block and people have a reference <laughs> point of, of that. Um, or that their purchase might be too small, maybe they can't afford an advocate. So that was really the gap in the market that I was like, right, I want to be an advocate and I only want to buy homes that people live in. Interesting. So what's the rate? How do you calculate it? 
what do you pay an advocate for? Someone who hasn't yeah. used an advocate before. Yeah, certainly. So there's two main models. Um, one is a percentage-based model, which usually comes from um, sales agents who have jumped over into buying property. Um, and roughly about 2% is around industry standards, sort of the same as the selling model of the purchase price. The only issue with that is the more that the buyer spends, the more they pay the advocate. Mm. If you've got a sliding budget, then yeah. you know how does that kind of work? Um, the other model is a fixed fee model, which is how we operate. So it's usually a retainer, anywhere from two to five thousand dollars upfront. So it's not much. At yeah, all. it's not too bad to mm. be engaged, and then a success fee upon a successful um, purchase, which is varying. But I would say ballpark somewhere between fifteen to twenty grand, depending on the purchase size. Certainly worth the investment, yeah. isn't it? If you mean, if it means it's going to save you that amount of time and yeah. stress, you're going yeah. for it now. It can be a very yeah. Not to mention the ability to negotiate and potentially yes. getting a better price, where that, that might be a fraction well. of, what, of what you might save them. Yeah, or we'll get a definitely. property that's not available. Yeah, yeah that's probably the, the biggest thing is examples of off-market properties that we've had to um, a opportunity to purchase at a certain price point, and then we see them go online and see what they sell for, and people would have saved our fee five, six, ten times over. Yeah, like it's what percentage is off-market? For us personally, we're sitting at 71% of purchases. Oh, wow. That's, I wouldn't say market? that's industry standard though. It, de it really depends how friendly you are with agents as to what you get access to. I would say there's about a third of the market that sits off market. In so total. interesting. Mm. Can I ask Emily slightly yeah. more technical question? Yeah. I mean, particularly more with the market. So yes. with the with the post-COVID environment, yes. we've obviously seen a huge change in the real estate market and with the rise of flexible working, that inner city, yes. shorter commute is no longer as desirable as it, as it used to be, so which I, I assume is, is driven the prices down slightly in that. So, yeah. so my question is, what are you seeing happening in the market now and where are sort of the hot places that you're sourcing properties yeah. and, and, and the, where is the demand coming from? Definitely. So certainly correct around the inner city um, has taken a bit of a hit. There's a lot of incentives for people to try and buy, I guess, lowering prices and things like that to get people into those properties. Um, look, who knows, maybe that'll bounce back and come around full circle in 10 years and people who buy now actually come out really good. But mm. who's to say no crystal ball is um, that's common uh, saying in real estate, mm. I guess. Um, in terms of where the hotspots are right now, it's probably what I call the middle ring, particularly if we're thinking about Melbourne. Um, for example, places like Coburg and Pascavale South and Reservoir, they're really taking off because people are realising they're actually still within a 10 to 12k radius to the CBD. There's a big land space available to them as well. And they're actually really good communities to be a part mm. of. So that Bayside corridor is sort of like a premium area the north and parts of the east and potentially parts of the west are actually getting a bit of attention um, because the dollars stack up and it really makes sense. So it yeah. sounds like those middle ring suburbs where properties get a little bit bigger. You've yes. got that extra room for the uh, Bernard Soldier I heard him present the other day called yeah. the Zoom room. The Zoom room, yes. <laughs> Not to be confused Love with Bernard, the yeah. kind of name, but the yeah. Zoom room. And so, so having that space for those types of rooms yes. seems to be really important at the moment. Accommodation is the biggest factor. So people who were looking, even we've um, dealt with couples who are looking for a three-bedroom property, just the two of them, but they need an office each. So, you know. Um, the size of the property is actually really coming into play. Um, do you work predominantly with owner buyers or owner occupiers or investors? Yeah. And when you're buying it, do you look at what they need to live in or do you look at it from an investment point of view? Like what's yeah, going to increase? Yeah, great question. So we personally only buy properties that someone will live in um, or eventually live in. So for example, we call them um, an investment with purpose. So someone might buy their downsizer home now, but they're not actually going to live in it for five to seven years. But it's dictated by the area they want to live in. 
So we're always looking at why one property would be a better choice over another, but because it is a home that someone's going to live in, we're not crunching numbers on the stats of, you know, you will get X amount of growth out of this, but definitely when it comes down to two properties, it's pretty evident why one would be a better long-term choice yep. over another. Yeah. And um, one thing that I would wanted to learn more about yeah. was this course that you've got for first home buyers. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are plenty of first home buyers out there who really want to engage in an advocate, but maybe budget restrictions and the deposit that they've you know spent so long saving yeah. up doesn't um, lend itself towards having a full service advocate. So I do have a first home buyers course um, that I've made, which pretty much takes a buyer through from pre-approval all the way through until settlement. So how do they find their own off-market properties? How do they negotiate? Uh, what questions should they be asking in an open home? What lingo is involved in real estate? Um, so pretty much from, from A to Z, how to buy a property. How great is that? I've never heard of anyone doing something like this. Yeah. And a lot of people are just completely unaware of how to like go about the, the first home buyer process. Especially if it's your first property, right? Yeah. Like yeah. even just the basics of a first. how a conveyancer works and, yes. and all those things. Even of... that you need one. Some people are like conveyancer yeah. or surveyor. They get confused yeah. between the two. Can I ask, Emily, I read a really interesting statistic the other day that yeah. um, for if, if you were... Uh, I guess, a, 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 what are they called? Not millennial, what are they called? The generation now? Gen Z. Gen Z, I'm like Gen Z, Gen Y. If you're a Gen Z now without yes. any sort of intergenerational wealth, yes. it will take you 10 years to save a house deposit for the medium house price in Melbourne. Yes. If you were to save 15% of your average, of your salary yep. for 10 years. So what do you Based predict? On today's like how would how would <laughs> and you? And that's only going to go up with the new taxes and exactly. Yeah. And I think that the 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 cost of living and the cost of property in comparison to the average income is not matching no. up. No. So what are, what do these first home buyers do? And like what yeah. do you predict is going to happen with the property market? Is it just not the Australian dream anymore for Gen Zs to come in and buy a home? Potentially, it's actually um, very disheartening for a lot of people. I think there's a couple of things that people need to be aware of. So um, guarantor loans is one thing that really flies under the radar that people don't quite, probably more so the parents don't understand um, how that kind of works and how you can leverage that. Then there seems to be a lot more um, sort of programs and incentives coming through in the private sector where similar to the government program where you can have a shared equity um, set up or you can weigh the LMI for a certain um, deposit amount. Mm. In the private space, it's actually becoming a bit more common. Um, obviously, there must be some benefit if it's in the private space to these companies, but they are becoming options. Some people are seeking them out. But to be honest with you, a lot of people are turning towards rent vesting mm. um, and buying where they can afford. Like I'm, I'm a rent vester myself and I've bought where I can afford, I bought a couple of properties um, to get under my belt before being able to sort of land all my dollars in a you know family home. Mm. Um, but yeah, the reality is some people do have to compromise, um, or you know they're renting for a very very long time without investment elsewhere, which is a little bit scary for the economy. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We're going to continue this conversation right after a short break. Welcome back. Bill, let's take it away. Yeah, so um, just before we had that little break, I just wanted to ask you, you talked about a little bit about your first home buyers and that market and your course. And when I was doing research on you before this episode, I just thought you got an awesome social media presence. So tell us a bit about that and how you, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know, but I'm assuming you have to get right out of your comfort zone to start doing this stuff and, and, and how, how great it's been for your profile. Yeah, for sure. So social media, um, as we would all know, is such a, a big avenue for awareness, for business and for connection. And 
Um, to be honest with you, I probably didn't really think twice about really leveraging it because I know there's a lot of fear around being on camera and people, you know, talking about what they do and providing information. But I went to um, an event hosted by someone who was sort of in the marketing social media space. And he basically said, like, you can never be in enough places. Like, you can, no one can ever see your face enough. If they're seeing too much of you, that's a good thing. And I think um, I really took that quite literally. And I was like, right, I'm going to blast everywhere. And I used to do a lot more um, on LinkedIn in the beginning, um, just educational content. And then obviously Instagram, um, podcasting, Facebook. TikTok you know, as well, haven't you? Not TikTok. Oh. Oh, I th actually, I think I do have a TikTok account, but I, I haven't um, yeah. used it yet. Okay. Um, I probably do need to get on TikTok. But I really think um, there's this word called omnipresence, and that means you're literally everywhere at one time. And I think um, for people to recognize my face and my voice, like even I've met you guys for the first time today in person, it's, you know, we all feel like we know each other because yeah. of social media. But the one thing, particularly um, in the real estate space about social media is, I think a lot of people only post their successes. I think, you know, there's people out the front of a sold board, another one sold or how much commission they're making. Mm. And that's not, it's great, don't get me wrong, but it's not very Who's relevant. It's, not, Who's yeah. it's also not real. One thing I no. noticed about yours is it's very genuine. It's not, yeah. it's not about, you know, big noting and, and things like that. It's all, it's all genuine. But one thing that um, our marketing, Audrey, big shout out to her, um, says all the time that it, about 80% of people, even if they follow you, don't see a, a post. Yep. So if you think you're posting too much, you're probably yeah, yeah. not because about 80% of them don't even see each post. So if you post every day, it doesn't mean someone's seeing your post every day. Definitely. And on the flip side of that, there's also the element of engagement, like likes and comments and people you know, sending you DMs. It's funny how many people watch you and actually rave about you, but you never hear from mm -hmm. them. Mm. You know, there's people who have referred business and I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Yeah. Oh, they follow your Instagram and I heard about you through them. So you never underestimate who's watching um, and I guess their network and how you could be exposed to that as well. Do you know what, Emily? I don't think there's been a Tuesday when in the back of my mind when it's been Tuesday, I haven't thought, top tip Tuesday. Maybe yeah, yeah, top tip Tuesday, but... I'm like, it's, it's top, top tip Tuesday. <laughs> and I hadn't even met you before, yeah. but it's a subliminal marketing behind yes. it. Need to bring back top tip Tuesday. You do. Yeah, I ran out of tips. Floor plan Fridays. Yes, floor plan Friday. Floor plan. That's That's gotten a bit of traction, actually. People are very critical of the floor plans we put out, which I love. <laughs> I so, really yeah. love the results that you post on the Saturday auctions. Yeah. Like, I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And like I said, as a, as a buyer myself at the moment yeah. currently on the market you yeah. know you look at those things and I show my partner in front you know what I mean like yes. it gets shared out because it's such fascinating information and yeah. I think people from all walks of life that you, you can always find a way to talk about property and it's yes. always going to be an extremely in intriguing topic and I think that the last two years if anything the talk of property is just it's such a massive talking point yeah. And, yeah. and apparently the talk of Emily in this panel, because we've all obviously consumed your content, <laughs> yeah. quite, content quite a lot. Um, but we wanted to talk to you about a topic that we thought might be of interest to viewers and to yeah. us on the panel as well. Um, we all know that in uh, anyone that watched Selling New York or anything like that, yeah. there's a very different model over yes. there in real estate. And there's, there's a buyer's, buyer's advocate, for want of a better word, and a sales agent on pretty much every transaction. Yes. Very different to Australia, although the, the buyer's advocate space is growing very rapidly. It's not the norm, uh, if we want to put it that way. Yeah. How do you think that will progress? And do you think we'll ever get to that model here? Great question. So the American model is why they call themselves realtors, because they actually flip from one side to the other. So they could be acting for the buyer on one um, property, but then acting for the seller on another. Mm -hmm. So they're actually dual purpose. What I find interesting about that and potentially the reason why I think it won't take off here in Australia is there's a lot of conflict in that. 
um, not so much, I mean, you wouldn't act on the one property for both sides, but I think there's a real skill set in buying and there's a real skill set in selling. Yeah. And I think you become, you know, what you call a 360 year old where you're doing both sides of the fence. And I don't know that that's actually to the advantage of the consumer. I personally think you should be really good at one or the other yep. and stick the course and be really niche in that. Um, the other thing with the American model is the seller pays the commission um, to both yeah. of them, right? Five or six percent, so, right? Yeah, it's crazy. So um, how is it entirely independent if the vendor is actually paying for both? When you think about that. True. Like mm, yeah. the buyer's not actually paying to engage the realtor. And if that show has told those shows have told you anything, is that the, the two agents are just trying to make a deal happen. They're literally they're they really, just, they they really just want care, their deal done. They don't really care about their client. Exactly. They're just trying to get a deal they're to They're not get prepared done, so. to walk away. Whereas yeah. when you have independence, like God, the amount of deals we've walked away from because it's not the right thing. Yeah. Um, and I can tell the agent really wants to get the deal done. But if it's not the right thing by the buyer, then that's they're my client and they should be the client. And I've always said if if you're not paying, you're not the client. Like you've really got to think about yeah. that, mm. where your advice comes from and who um, you're engaging, you should be paying them for advice. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt wherever the money flows, there's always some, some um, you have to be holding to that person to yeah. some degree, right? So if the yeah. vendor's paying and you're a buyer's agent, you know, um, it's you, you, yeah, it's a bit, it is a bit iffy. There is some positives to that model as well, which yes. means that all the buyers get represented by people Definitely. that know what they're doing. So yeah, yeah, if yeah, you're new sure. to the market or you don't understand or you don't know a new market, you know, you've got someone to represent you and you're not paying. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that conflict that, that you've got to worry about. Yeah, definitely. I think um, representation is, yeah, number one. I think as, as much representation as possible is a really good thing. But I just think... Um, the Australian model, I mean, even the concept of a buyer's advocate being the norm in a transaction at the moment is still, you know, evolving. It's not a household um, name as such a buyer's advocate. So, Although it's yeah. grown, gr I mean, you know, it's grown a lot. It's grown a lot. Buyer's advocate 10 years ago, it's right? Yeah. Educational yeah. piece on it. Not, like five, 10 years ago, not many people knew what a buyer's advocate was. Yeah. Yeah. And what you've done with your social media and your branding is educated the, the yeah. masses, I suppose. Yeah, and that's probably the, the aim of the game. Whether someone, you know, uses us, I can't be serving everyone. You know, as long as they use an advocate, I'm really happy. That's probably well, the biggest thing. what you do. You only have 10 clients at a time. Yes. Uh, yeah. You don't, no matter how busy you are, you won't service more than 10 clients. No, we have wait, wait lists for that. And I mean, some people go, oh, we have to wait, but I would rather service, you know, the 10 right. really well then be like, yes, let everyone come on board. And mm. the other thing is, which I think probably needs to be mandated across the board, is we don't take conflicting profiles. So we'd never have two buyers oh, yeah. looking for the same mm. property type, same budget, same area. Um, that's not mandated anywhere. No. That's just because we want to operate a moral business. You know, yeah. it's not actually um, a best practice standard, which I think it should be in the industry. Yeah, I yeah. Agree. I like that a lot. Emily, we really want you to give our audience what's a golden nugget? Like where are golden some of the, the hottest places to buy? Where should potentially someone steer away from? It doesn't yep. have to be either of those things, but a golden nugget piece, yeah. piece of information that our viewers can take home. 100%. I think the biggest thing for viewers would be around making sure you realise when you're priced out of a particular market. Sometimes it's really disheartening and hard to actually comprehend that you're priced out of an area that you want to be in. The longer it takes for you to realize that, the more missed opportunity you're having in the surrounding suburbs that you possibly could afford. So the golden nugget would be to be really quick to assess the market and move on. As soon as you realize you can't afford, move on. What's next? What's the next best thing I can get into? Um, because it actually will save you money in the long Is run. Is that a difficult conversation for you to have with clients? Yeah, yeah I can imagine it yeah. would be. Um, 
Yes, I feel like I've broken a few hearts in the process of, you know, we're doing discovery calls and people are listing off what they want. I'm like, that doesn't exist. So probably a measurable thing for viewers, if you haven't seen three properties in the last three months that you would have bought before, you know, you were looking, um, what you're looking for probably doesn't exist unless it's a very unique thing that pops up, you know, once every six months. But generally speaking, three properties in the last three months within budget in a sold section, otherwise move to another area. So my five bedroom with $1.5 million budget in Brighton. I'm not going to get it. Is that what you're telling me? I'm not going to get my Brighton mansion. No, probably not. You know, one thing that I always laugh about, a lot of friends are asking for advice when they're buying property and they always say, I want to buy a bargain. I want to find a bargain. And you're like, good properties don't sell at a bargain. If it's a bargain, it's a reason for it. Yeah, you want a bargain or you want a good property pick. Yeah. Yeah. Regional M, like how's the sort of Bendigo and and Ballarat, I'm hearing those markets. Markets are quite hot at the moment. Are they markets that you service as an investment company? Um, no, we don't personally buy in regional towns, but I'm um, closely connected with people who do. And um, we're actually speaking to one of the researchers from CoreLogic recently, and they were giving some interesting stats around the growth that's continued in those regions that's mm. actually well surpassed the metro yeah. areas. And I was like, wow, that's really flipped it on its head because we so often go, well, blue chip suburbs are where you put your money. But at the moment, that would suggest that that's actually not the case. In and the no one market. can really predict what's happening in the market right now yeah. because they keep saying it's going to crash, it's going to crash, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it's crashing. It's, it's cooling. No. It's, it's cool, cooling. Really. It's not crashing, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. That's yeah. Australia though, right? We've got, a, we've got a government that loves to underpin our property market. So yeah, <laughs> they bail us out whenever <laughs> we need them to. Any okay. predictions for what's going to happen in the next 12 months on the market? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing is um, the properties that were compromised that were really getting snapped up in that buying frenzy you know in late sort of 2021 they will remain compromised and they'll struggle and they will sit on the market a bit longer we're already seeing that a bit um but a grade property that's quoted fairly like i i do think that's going to continue to keep growing and and do well um but i think more generally uh people's minds yes they do focus on property if you're in the market for one but people aren't leisurely strolling open homes anymore there's things to do there's people to see you know restaurants are open activities are back (laughs) So I actually think when you're going to open homes, you won't need to line up anymore. Um, there might only be two or three hands at auction. Mm-hmm. And so um, a general prediction would be that I think when a quote range is fair, we won't start seeing it go 10% over. We actually might only see it go maybe 2 or 5% over the top end in an auction situation. Gosh, wouldn't yeah. that be nice? Yeah. It's, I, it's about starting to happen. quote ranging being fair. Yeah, quote, quote range crying. being fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the biggest thing. Quote range being fair is probably, yeah, the, the starting point of it actually all making sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I keep interrupting. So, boys, do you have any dying questions? No, I think our producer's saying to wrap up. (laughs) He has the habit of doing that. He does. Yeah, no, thanks so much, Emily. I thought that was really awesome and we got some really good good information from that. If if there's one thing that I've learned from you, it's obviously all the things about buyer advocacy, of course, but also social media and how important that is and how you've generated that 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 massive client base and that you know, course content and, and those kind of things from from that following so i'm going to get yeah. a bit more out of my comfort zone yeah, mm. yeah. definitely too yeah i fight too and to all of our audience at home if you are looking to acquire a buyer's advocate emily wallace buyer's advocacy located in we're on st kilda road and we cover um all different pockets of melbourne but we can always have a chat Fabulous. And I mean, if this didn't convince you to get a buyer's advocate, I don't think, I don't think anyone thing will. Oh my goodness. I don't think you. <laughs> I think you might need one after your last yeah. few weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I'm definitely going to have a chat to Emily after the show, but thank you so much, thank Emily, you. for being part of our show. My and thank pleasure. you to everyone for watching another episode of Real Estate Renovators. See you soon.